Y'all know what time it is. It is time for Sandu Stories once again. Chapter 3, which also happens to be the final chapter that will be released on the free platforms. After this, Sandu Stories will be exclusively on patreon.com slash Podcast. You guys can get access to Sandu Stories every month on the $5 tier. But all that business aside, sit back and relax as I take you to Las Cruces, New Mexico for this week's Sandu Stories. This episode includes violence towards children. Listener discretion is advised. Yeah. It's sad to stories. Turn up your volume for me. I try to keep it happy when the details get gory, but sometimes I don't. And the shit gets real. But we know that's how you like it Cause the way it makes you feel Sandu stories Based on truth But some things are exaggerated Sandu stories Been waiting on you And we're so glad you made it Sandu stories Based on truth But some things are exaggerated Sandu stories Been waiting on you On February 10th, 1990, in Las Cruces, New Mexico, Stephanie Senek, the day manager at Las Cruces Bowl, a bowling alley, arrived an hour early to add up receipts from the night before. It was 8 a.m., and the sun had not broken the horizon yet. The sky was glowing that soft early morning blue. As she pulled into the marking lot, she saw that Ida Holguin's car was already parked and she was waiting on Stephanie to arrive. Ida was the cook at Las Cruces Bowl and she too had arrived early to prepare for the lunch rush, as Saturdays were always crazy. Stephanie had brought her 12-year-old daughter with her today, Melissa, and Melissa had brought a friend, 13-year-old Amy Hauser. The two girls were going to help Stephanie out by working in the bowling alley's daycare. They stepped out into the cold winter wind and rushed almost silently to the front door, unlocking and rushing inside, hoping to keep the cold out as much as possible. As the women stood in the entryway, removing the multiple layers they had donned to help keep the cold at bay, they noticed a third car pulling into the parking lot. It was Stephanie's brother, Michael. He had worked the late night shift the night before and had left a backpack that he was just stopping in to pick up. He said hey as he entered the door and explained all of this to Stephanie as they were walking back towards the cash office. Michael grabbed his backpack, then told his sister and niece he would see them later, and quickly left. Michael later testified that as he was leaving the parking lot, he saw two tall Hispanic men walking towards the building, but figured they would leave once they realized the place wasn't open yet. He pulled off unaware of what he had just witnessed. Back inside the bowling alley, Ida, the cook, was leaning over the stove, scrubbing the grease that the good-for-nothing night crew seemed to miss every damn time. As she stood back up and turned to face the room, It was a strange man standing in the door, 
and it startled Ida so much she dropped the nasty black grease goop on the floor along with the metal scraper, and they made a loud bang. Ida was frozen with fear. When the man first spoke, it was as if she was underwater. Seeing his mouth move with just a fuzzy sound coming out, Ida had been too distracted to pay attention to what the man was saying because her eyes were locked on the 22 caliber pistol that he carried in his hand. The man spoke again, this time louder and a little more irritated. I said, come on, can't you hear? Don't try to run and for God's sake, don't scream. Come with me now, now. The yell of his last command startled Ida back to reality and her feet began to shuffle towards the man almost involuntarily. Her heart was beating so loud in her ears now that she did not even hear the second man. She only noticed him when he came into her vision as she got closer to the door. The man who had spoken first grabbed her hard by the forearm as soon as she was in reach. He shoved her out of the kitchen and into the main open floor. The office was on the other side of the building where Stephanie and the girls were. Ida thought of screaming to warn them, but what would that do? There was only one way out of the office, and it was right into the waiting arms of the men with guns, who were now directing Ida into that very office. Stephanie looked up to see Ida coming into the doorway. She had a look about her that took a moment to register when Stephanie first saw it. But then, as if life was in slow motion, she saw the 22 caliber enter the door, followed by a large Hispanic man, and then another. She was instantly overcome with the same emotion, and her face now mimicked Ida's. Melissa and Amy were scared senseless. These men had burst through the door like a SWAT team on an unsuspecting family dinner. The girls let out little squeals, but were quickly hushed by one of the men. Be quiet and put your heads down. Down now. Ida was directed across the room into the corner where Melissa and Amy, who now sat wrapped in each other's arms, were trying their best to stay quiet. The man again ordered them to put their heads down and not to look at him. You, get over there with the girls and put your head on the ground. Ida took this as a good sign and thought to herself, They'll just get the money and then leave. That's why they told us to put our heads down, so we don't get a good look at them. It's okay. We're okay. The other man was now behind the desk with Stephanie and ordered her to open the safe. Stephanie complied and filled a small bag with cash from the safe, totaling a mere $4,000. After he was finished filling the bag, he grabbed Stephanie by the arm and nearly dragged her around the desk, tossing her against the other girls, who all sat on the floor with their heads down. Stephanie squeezed in between Melissa and Amy, taking one girl under each arm, allowing them to sob into her chest as she did her best to calm them, reassuring them. Shh, girls, it's okay, it's okay. Shh, it's gonna be okay, shh, it's gonna be okay, it's gonna be okay. The men fired a shot at each of the women's heads, and no sooner did their ears stop ringing that they heard another bell. The bell to the front door had just chirped, announcing someone's entrance. That someone had been Las Cruces Bowl employee Stephen Turan. Stephen worked as the alley's mechanic and handyman, fixing the machines and kept the place going. Stephen also came in early to maintenance all the machines before today's leagues came in and practiced and The place seemed more like working on a four-lane highway, covered with drunks screaming and telling you to hurry up and fix it because they didn't pay to wait around. All while you were engulfed in a cloud of cigarette smoke, of course. But today was different for Stephen. 
Not only did he find the front door of the alley unlocked, which was unusual because he always had to knock before opening hours to get someone to let him in, but today he also was accompanied by his two daughters, six-year-old Paula and two-year-old Valerie. You see, Stephen's childcare arrangement had fallen through at the last minute, leaving Stephen without any other option. He had to take the girls to work. Stephen came in work like, like any dad, arriving ten minutes late with two toddlers in tow, you know, carrying only half-awake Valerie while Paula dragged behind attached to his wrist, a diaper bag thrown over his shoulder, about to drop at any minute. But the door behind him had barely sealed the barrier between the Arctic chill outside and the cozy heat in the lobby when he saw the first man coming around the corner to his left. Then he saw the second man following behind him. The men grabbed all three of the Terran family and dragged them to the office. Valerie begins to cry and Paula attempts to cling to her daddy's leg, almost tripping him up several times. When they enter the office, Stephen does his best to shield the girl's eyes from the now bloody scene that greeted them at the door. But he and the girls are shoved from behind, right into the pile of women who now lay suffering from gunshot wounds. The men heartlessly fire multiple shots into the pile, hitting Stephen, Valerie, and Paula in the head, and striking all of the victims multiple times. They then turn to the desk in the middle of the room and begin to stack papers and folders on the desk. Then one of them grabs a lighter out of his pocket, glances over at the mound of victims, making eye contact with the still-conscious Melissa. He has an almost smile as he sets the fire to the corner of one of Stephanie's employee schedule sheets that she keeps stacked on her desk. He dropped the now flaming page down on the mountain of flammable papers that they had created in the center of the desk, and white smoke began to fill the office immediately. The men grabbed their loot and turned and ran for the door. They had shot seven people and set the building on fire in hopes that it would cover their tracks. But what they didn't realize is that they greatly underestimated the will to live. As 12-year-old Melissa dragged her injured self to the phone and made the call to 911. officers in route. They'll be with you just shortly. Okay. Okay. You didn't see what any of the Mom, men were wearing? Mom, they money. You didn't I see what any kind of the men were wearing or anything? No. Nothing, huh? They just walked in? Uh-huh. Do you know if they were black men, white men? Mom, black men. They're both black. Two black men? Yeah. Okay. No, they've left. Two black males. Please hurry. Okay, okay. It's okay, Melissa. There's a fire, too. There's a fire? Right on the desk. They're going to burn us up. Are the men still there? I don't know. 
You don't know? I don't know. They put us in the office. They put you in the office? Yes, I need a fire engine, too. Please help me. And too. Okay, Melissa. She said they locked them in the office. She doesn't know if they're still there or not. The door's open. There's a fire. It's on Amador, yeah. Please Can you help. smell smoke, Melissa? Yes, I can see it. Okay. Can I get the fire extinguisher? Fire department, too? Yes. She says she smells smoke. They may have lit the building on fire. No, it is on fire. It is on fire. It is. Okay, Melissa. Can I go Stand get the... by utility one. Oh, ow. Okay, Melissa. We've got them coming, hon. We've got them coming. Is somebody... my mommy. Okay, Melissa. There's a police officer there now, okay? There is? Yes, there is. He's going to try and find you. We're in the office. Just tell me. I have 33 traffic. Okay. Hold on, Melissa. We've got the ambulance coming. They're just down the street. Huh? She advises all seven are shot, they're injured, they're in the office. Where's the office at, Melissa? Right in the door, to the front desk, and then you take a right, and we're right in the field. Okay. She says you go in, to the first desk, take a right, and they're right there at the office. Okay, I'm giving the directions on how to get to you, to the police officers that are there. Oh, my God, please help me. They're helping you, Melissa. We've got them rolling. Okay? You've got to be brave. got to be strong now. Okay? Oh, God. It's going to burn us right now. Okay. Can you see flames? Yeah. Okay. It's burning us. Okay. Oh, I got bullets in my feet. <laughs> okay. The oh. bullets in my head. You bullet the bullets in your head, too? <laughs> I hear the officers telling you to get out. Get I out. can't. There's nobody else. Was that the police officer yeah. telling you to get out? Yeah. Then get out. Okay. Okay? Melissa felt an officer grab her by the arm, and though her body was begging her not to move, she was able to thrust herself to her feet and follow him out. As they were heading out, other officers were filing in, shouting and searching behind every corner removing the other victims and clearing the scene. They assisted the ones still alive outside to receive medical attention, and within minutes, a big red fire engine was pulling into the parking lot, and the men filed out like roaches scattering when you turned on the lights. Within minutes, the small fire that had filled the office with white lung-killing smoke had now been put out and was little more than a sizzling heap. When all was said and done, Stephen, his six-year-old daughter Paula, and Melissa's friend Amy had all died before help arrived. Two-year-old Valerie was taken to the hospital, but died shortly upon arrival. Miraculously brave little Melissa, her mom Stephanie, and Ida, who was working as a cook that day, all survived the incident, although sadly Stephanie would die years later due to complications from her injuries. The men were seen by a few witnesses running away from the alley after they had heard shots fired. They were described as two tall, slender men of Hispanic descent with dark hair and mustaches. They were the same men Stephanie's brother Michael had seen when he stopped to get his bag from the night before, only seconds away from being victim number eight. It is believed that the men may have fled to Mexico, as Las Cruces was just minutes away. According to the surviving women, one man had a heavy Spanish accent, while the other had no accent, leading many to believe he could have been in a local southwest area. 
the men have never been apprehended and are on the loose to this day, possibly still living in the Las Cruces area, or perhaps hidden out in Mexico, hoping that the arms of justice will never find them. So there you have it. Now you got pretty much every question answered, except for why. And there are a few odd theories surrounding the motive for this attack, as it seemed to be just a little bit too much for a robbery, wouldn't you say? Were these men just arranged and violent and meant to leave no witnesses, even in regards to such a petty crime? Or was there something more sinister at play here? Some have questioned why Michael really showed up that morning, and what was really in his bag. Michael was known to have trouble with a cocaine addiction. It's thought that the men were looking for what was in the bag and snapped when they couldn't find it. But this is all just Reddit gossip as far as police are concerned. They have investigated Michael and although unveiled his dark struggle with addiction, found no connection with him and the men or any reason for an attack like this one. So there is another theory. The theory that the men were hired by the owner of the bowling alley to go in and burn the place down shake up the employees a bit, and allow him to collect on insurance. After all, he was out of town when this went down, and he reopened within just a week of the murders. There is, however, one big flaw with this theory. The owner of Las Cruces Bowl is Stephanie and Michael's dad, which would make him Melissa's grandfather. Now, it's not unheard of that family members put each other in harm's way, especially when money is involved. But if he did hire those men and it is my belief that he did not, then he did a terrible job of screening his employees. It's the popular belief that Stephanie and Melissa survived because the men never meant to kill them. But seeing as how they fired more than 20 shots into the pile of what was now seven people laying on the ground, and the initial shots were aimed at their heads, I don't think these men meant for anyone to survive. Although it is quite odd that those two were the only survivors, and those two were the only ones related to the bowling alley owner. And the third theory here is that the attack was, of course, random. The men saw an opportunity and seized it, thinking they'd probably gotten a lot more cash, and again, attempting to leave no witnesses behind. Ida told police all those she could not verify or identify the men, they somehow looked familiar. Perhaps a customer who may have visited the alley earlier in the week. Either way, she is sure someone knows something that can help. You know, when I first heard this story, you know what came to mind? The brothers. The two brothers from Breaking Bad. The two Hispanic gentlemen who are the assassins for the cartel. Who take what they want, kill who they want with no remorse, and just keep trucking. They're not afraid of prison. They're not afraid of death. They're only afraid of dishonor. And with this town of Las Cruces being right on the border of Mexico, it's not so far-fetched as to say that, yeah, maybe these two cartel hitmen were in the area and they saw an easy target, an easy way to make a quick buck. Bowling alleys don't have security, especially not in the 90s. There's no, no security here. And look, and they were right. They came in, they had to take on four, four people at first, a total of seven. 
but four of those were children. So there wasn't much of a fight to be put up here. And I think these men knew this. I do. And I think, I think someone does know something about this act. And if these men are still out there, hopefully one day Melissa runs into them and she'll recognize their faces and she can get some justice for this, this horrible tragedy that has happened to her and her friends and family on that horrible, horrible day. Well, guys, that concludes this week's Sandu Stories. Um, there's no Lauren's synopsis this week. We've been very busy, and we're not typically going to do Lauren's synopsises on uh, Sandu Stories in the future. So we give Lauren that one week off a month. Okay? <laughs> I hope you guys will forgive me and, and forgive him as well. But we hope you enjoyed this segment, this uh, final free chapter of Sandu Stories. Remember, if you guys like this and you like what you're hearing and you want to hear more Sandu Stories installments in the following months, you go to patreon.com slash podcast and sign up under the $5 tier. And starting next month in June, we will start with Chapter 4 on the Patreon exclusive content. So I want to thank you guys for listening. Thank you for giving this show a chance. Please go leave a rating, leave a review if you can. Follow us on social media at SNU Podcast and tell your friends. But most of all, be strange. Just don't be strangers. Thanks, guys. Yeah. It's Andrew Stories. Turn up your volume for me. I try to keep it happy when the details get gory, but sometimes I don't. And this shit gets real. But we know that's how you like it, cause the way it makes you feel. Sandu stories. Based on truth, but some things are exaggerated. Sandu stories. Been waiting on you, and we're so glad you made it. Sandu stories. Based on truth.